Well, good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. I'm excited about our Christmas Eve services. Hope you're planning to come either Christmas Eve Eve or the Christmas Eve. We have a three different times Christmas Eve. So come and not just come, but bring a neighbor or a coworker or a family member, really, as we remember the joy of God's kindness to us in the sending of Jesus. So if you know this statement, and not all of you will, but if you know this statement, will you say it with me? I'm a child of God forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. All right, if you have no idea why we just said that's for the the last four weeks, so this is the fifth week now, we have been looking at what the Scripture says is of first importance, that Christ not only died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And therefore, when we place faith in him, We become a child of God who is forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. And the spirit of God then is poured into our hearts so that we can be the instruments in and through which God does his work. And I've been encouraging you, say that statement, not just on Sunday morning, but really every day and maybe every hour of every day in the moment of temptation, the moment of doubt, the moment of fear. Uh, Actually, for me this week, it was a couple times in the moment of distraction. Lots of other stuff going on. I get distracted by other things and and to come back and go, no, I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. It's it's incredible, uh, the simplicity of bringing me back to who I am and why I am here. It's of first importance because uh, not what I determined, but the scripture calls it that, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So he paid the penalty. This is what we just remembered in taking the Lord's supper. He took the penalty we deserved in his death. We know he was really dead because he was buried. And when he was buried and we are identified with him in burial, it's the reminder that all of who we were is dead and gone. It's dead and buried. And he did not stay dead though. He was raised on the third day. So we could walk in newness of life. Now, why is the resurrection on the third day of first importance? Well, later in the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, here's why the resurrection is important. If Christ has not been raised, so it's a hoax, it didn't really happen, it's just made up. If he is not raised, your faith is, say it out loud, your faith is worthless, worth nothing. It's a complete waste of time if Christ has not been raised. You are still in your sins. You're not forgiven, you're not set free from slavery to sin if Christ has not been raised. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that's simply a euphemism for they have died. They died in Christ. They've perished. There is no such thing as go to heaven and be with God. There is only the payment for the penalty for your sin, and you are deserving of God's wrath for all eternity, separated from him if Christ has not been raised. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are most of all men most to be pitied. We're fools if Christ hasn't been raised. So is it important, the resurrection? 
Yeah, it is of first importance. And so uh, we have looked thus far in the Gospel of Mark about the evidence for the resurrection. And two weeks ago, we talked about the physical evidence for the resurrection. And the greatest physical evidence, the smoking gun, if you will, was the guarded but empty tomb. I love how the fact that in order to discredit a supposed resurrection, they guarded the tomb so the disciples couldn't steal the body and say he was raised. In guarding the tomb, they have verified that his body was not stolen. And if his body was not stolen, if the tomb was guarded to keep that from happening, but it's empty, what's the only other answer? He was raised from the dead. That's compelling. But it's not most compelling. There's something even more compelling than an empty tomb. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Mark chapter 16. If not, it's going to be up here on the screen. We'll see. But Mark chapter 16 gives us an even greater evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, which is of first importance. We're going to read Mark 16 verses 14 through 19. No, we're not. We're going to read verses 9 through 14. Sorry about that. Beginning verse 9. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been, what? Seen by her. They refused to believe it, even though she was an eyewitness of the risen Jesus. They didn't believe it. Verse 12. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. It's, this is the, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. That's where they're headed. Jesus appears to them. And they went away and reported to the others, but they did not believe them either. Even though they were eyewitnesses, she was. They don't believe. They were. They don't believe. So what happens? Verse 14. Afterward, he, that is Jesus, appeared to the 11 themselves. The guys who had run afraid when he had been arrested, he now appears to them as they're reclining at the table. And he reproached them. You know what that means? Ever been reproached? It's not a pat on the back. Let's say it that way. He reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, I don't know if you're following this, but, but Mark is recording that from the mouth of Jesus, his conviction is the greatest evidence for the resurrection is what? Eyewitnesses. What do you mean she saw me and then you didn't believe her? What do you mean they saw me and then you didn't believe them? The greatest, even beyond, as strong as physical evidence is the empty tomb, the greatest evidence is the eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. See, it's of first importance because if it's not true, 
We're still on our sins. Our faith is worthless. We're fools. So how convinced are you it's true? On a scale of one to 10, you don't have to say it out, but how, how convinced are you? Is there sufficient evidence or should we kind of go, eh, I believe it, but I, I realize it's a little sketchy. Actually, in the court of law, the evidence is compelling, physically and eyewitness. So, so what I've tried to do and what I want us to look at briefly this morning is this. The recorded appearances, the, the eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. Now, recorded is an important word because what? Because there could have been many, many others. In fact, the Gospel of John says Jesus did all sorts of things that were never written down. So when you think of the miracles of Jesus, you may think, man, that's awesome. But you ever thought he could have done lots, 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 lots more, but those things weren't written down. That's what the Gospel of John says. So these are the recorded appearances. These are the things that they actually wrote down. And I've tried to take them not only from Mark, but Matthew and Luke and John and weave them together to show all the recorded appearances in chronological order. Now, when we're finished, you may go home, read all the passages. And by the way, that's why I put them all there in their message memo. It's not one verse. It's where to start. I invite you to read them all. And you may go, no, that's not the right order. Don't email me. Just hear me now. It might not be the right order. Okay? It might not be the right order. This is the best I can do. If you can do better, way to go. Put it online. These are all the recorded appearances. And I think they're in the order that they took place. So don't get lost in the order. Be fully convinced by the amount. Because eyewitnesses... An eyewitness is great in testimony. Two is even better. Three would be awesome. And look what we get. The first, we know for sure is the first is this, Mary Magdalene. Because Mark tells us that's who he first appeared to, Mary Magdalene. Then he appears to the other women, and then two on the road to Emmaus that we just referred to in the Gospel of Mark. Then there's this private meeting with Peter that 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about. And then there are, uh, there's an appearance to some of the apostles, not all of the apostles, and we'll define who in a moment. I group these five together because these all happened on the first day. These happened on Sunday. Jesus appeared to in each of these, to Mary Magdalene, the other women, the two on the road, to privately with Peter, and then some of the apostles, all on day one. Then, and I say some of the apostles for number five, because his sixth appearance is the disciples, recorded appearance, I should say, is to the disciples and Thomas. And what's unique about that is that happens eight days later, eight days after he had been raised. Now, these first six all happen in and around Jerusalem. And then a major change takes place. He then appears in Galilee. So 75, 80 miles to the north of where Jesus is seen for the first eight days. Then he is seen as the risen one by other folks. He's seen again by the disciples fishing. And this is the account where he is... Walking along the shore, they fished all night and not called anything. And he says, hey, cast on the other side. And they do it, and they catch all sorts of fish. And then they're like, this has happened before. We did this before. That was with Jesus. That must be Jesus again. So Peter jumps out of the boat and 
can't wait for the boat to get to shore. Then there's appearance, 1 Corinthians 15 says, to 500. And there's an appearance on the mountaintop in Galilee. Eight and nine may be the same situation. Or they may be different. But both occurred. It may be in the same event. And then there is the appearance to James. Specifically identified, and we'll talk about this in a moment. The half-brother of Jesus. Jesus has a specific appearance to him. So that's all up in Galilee. Then, finally, he returns to outside Jerusalem, and the final appearance is just prior to where Jesus ascends into heaven before their very eyes. Now, again, I've given you all the passages there for you to read through them so that you might be fully convinced that when you take a guarded but empty tomb and you add more than 500 eyewitnesses over a period of 40 days, not just one, not just two, and not just a few people on a night after they had too much hummus, but a period of 40 days, more than 500 people spread over 80 miles, all giving testimony we with our own eyes saw the risen Jesus, you have overwhelming evidence Jesus was raised from the dead. Now I, I recognize that even then, when Jesus was raised and appearing, there were those who refused to believe, right? Not all who heard it believed it. And not all who are here this morning who are hearing it will necessarily believe it. But let's at least admit this. If we don't believe it, it's not because there is not overwhelming evidence. So if you do believe it, don't be shy about it. Don't shrink back. Don't tuck your tail between your legs as if Christianity is just a, a, a weak crutch for weak people. Of first importance is that Jesus died for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins, was buried and raised on the third day, and there is overwhelming evidence that that really did happen. And so... If you choose not to believe it, it is because you are wanting to say, I don't want to yield to Jesus. And I get that. But don't let it be because, well, I don't think it really happened. If the case for Christ was taken to a court of law, overwhelming evidence. An empty, guarded tomb, no explanation. 500 plus witnesses over 40 days spread over 80 miles, overwhelming evidence. In fact, maybe even on a personal level, even greater evidence for the testimony, for the fact of the resurrection of Jesus is the impact that seeing him had on people. That when people did see him, their lives were 
radically changed. So I want us to turn from the evidence of the resurrection to the impact that the risen Jesus had on those who were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. The impact happens in three very specific ways. First, there were some who had heard prior to Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, some who had heard him, had met him, had listened to him, but had not believed. And then when they were eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, what happened? (laughs) They changed their mind and they believed. They didn't believe. Then they changed their mind with the overwhelming evidence of seeing him to be who he said he was, doing what he said he would do. They changed their mind. You know the some of the best examples of this transformation? The very brothers of Jesus. Because when you track the brothers of Jesus, did you know Jesus had younger brothers? Uh, the Gospels identify four of them. Half-brothers, if you will, because he was born of Mary but conceived by the Holy Spirit. He had four half-brothers. You know what they thought about Jesus? Well, they thought, first of all, it stinks to be his younger brother. Can you imagine? Why can't you be like Jesus? I mean, that would just be absolutely terrible. Terrible, terrible. Jesus never did that. Jesus never said that. Jesus always did It would just absolutely be terrible. But when he begins his ministry as an adult and people begin to follow him, it says in Mark chapter 3 that he chooses the 12 disciples and crowds begin to press in to hear him. And his brothers who grew up with him say, literally they say, he is out of his mind. He has lost his senses. They think Big brother is crazy. And all these people follow him. They don't buy it. In fact, John chapter 7 then says, and his brothers did not, it very specifically says this, his brothers did not believe. But if you have a Bible, let me show you something. Turn to Acts chapter 1. The brothers who thought he was out of his mind. This is not going to be up on the screen if you're trying to hold out on me. Acts chapter 1, the brothers who thought he was out of his mind and did not believe, here's what happens. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying, that is Peter and John, and it names the 11 not Judas, it names the 11 of the 12 because Judas has already taken his life because of his betrayal of Jesus. So the 11 are in the upper room and it says, drop down to verse 14, that they are all, these, all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Do you know that? That the brothers who thought he was crazy and out of his mind did not believe him. In fact, Jesus, when he died on the cross, died on the cross for the sins of his brothers who did not believe him. 
But between his death and then when he was raised and his ascension, they believed. They changed their mind. So it's the reminder. Every single one of us at one point changed our mind. Nobody in here believed our entire life. Oh, we may have known things about God our entire life or thought Jesus was a real person our entire life or known that he had died on the cross our entire life. But there is a point where every single person changes their mind and goes, I do believe he is the Savior and I need one. That he paid the penalty for my sin. And he was who he said he was. He rose from the dead. Can I encourage you as well? You have a brother who doesn't believe like Jesus did. You have a mom or a dad or a sister or kids who don't believe. And maybe they've said to you, I don't believe. Don't be discouraged. As long as they have breath in their lungs, the story isn't finished yet. Wasn't finished for James and his three other brothers. You know, that guy who said, I don't believe, and said, my older brother is crazy, did believe, and he was in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and in Acts 15, he is the spokesman for the entire church in Jerusalem. And by the way, he actually writes one of the books of the New Testament. The guy who did not believe radically changed by the gospel. So I don't mean be rude when I say this, but if you have a brother or a family member or a neighbor or somebody who you really love who, you, who, say, who says, I don't believe, don't believe them. It just means they don't believe yet. Now, I'm not guaranteeing. I'm just telling you it's not over yet. Jesus went to the cross with brothers who did not believe and went to heaven with brothers who did believe. How cool is that? And radically changed by the gospel. You know how James then died? How his brother died? People pick up, picked up stones. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, picked up stones and stoned him for his faith in his older brother, Jesus, who was raised from the dead. See, that's the power of the resurrection. Listen. The resurrection demands a response from every single person, from brother on down, to either go, it's true, but I won't yield to it, or it's true, and I embrace it. It demands a response. You can't be silent and neutral on the resurrection. Some who had heard but not believed now believed. But then there was a whole different level of impact upon eyewitnesses. Because some of the eyewitnesses had believed. But after believing, they had abandoned Jesus. Namely who? All, Peter, James, not James the brother of Jesus, James the brother of John, John himself, Philip, Mark, the gospel writer here. When it came to the rest of Jesus, what, what did all those guys do who had been following him? They all ran chicken. And they abandoned, and they're not following anymore. And then they meet the risen Jesus, and what happens? <laughs> they start following again. 
because the resurrection demands a response. And they go, even Thomas who said, I won't believe unless I can touch him. And Jesus goes, all right, have at it. And he believes and starts following again. Can I remind you? We think Peter, man, he's the apostle. He was given the keys to the kingdom. Remember this about Peter. He started following Jesus when he first met Jesus. He started following. And there was a time, and we don't have time to go back and look at it, but Mark 1, where he stopped following Jesus. Jesus went and he stayed and said, I don't, I don't agree with him. I don't like what you're doing. I disagree with you. Just like sometimes you disagree with Jesus. And he stopped. And Jesus went his way and Peter stayed. And then Jesus came back to town and said, hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Because you ain't catching no fish. <laughs> and he goes out and he speaks from his boat and he says, let's go out and catch some fish. And he goes, we fished all night. We couldn't just go out. And they go out and they cast again and they catch so much fish, this, the boat is about to sink. And Peter, who had been following but stopped following, falls down on his knees and goes, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. In other words, I've been an idiot. I knew who you were, I followed, I believed, and then I stopped. And Jesus says to him, Peter, get up, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. In other words, start again. See, that's great news for every single one of us in here because many of our stories are what? We started and then we stopped and the invitation is get up and follow me again and he starts and he follows it again and then he stops again. He runs chicken. He goes, I don't even know the guy. And then Peter, in his shame, Jesus seeks him out and says, do you love me? I like you. <laughs> you love me? I like you feed my sheep. He invites him back in. So I, I know here this morning, here in North, over in South, I know there are people who are here who were following Jesus and you've stopped. Oh, you're still coming to church because coming to church is not following Jesus. Coming to church is coming to church. But really, when it comes down to your life and your marriage and your finances and your decisions and what you are pursuing and what the priorities in your life, that's what following Jesus is about. And you've stopped and you, your church is still a part of your life, but you're doing life your, your way on your terms. And I think right now the Holy Spirit's gone. Come back. Start following again. And our shame wants to go, no, no. Don't let your shame keep you from life. Don't let you, the fact that you have made poor decisions and said things and done things that you wish you never would have to keep you from starting again. You with me? Some of the powerful realities of the impact on the eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. They had started and stopped, and upon seeing and believing, they start again. I know what, that was my story. Starting and then stopping. Starting, stopping, starting, stopping. And then you start to hear this little voice. You're disqualified. 
God doesn't have any time. You're so fickle. You think you're out. That's a lie, a lie, a lie. The truth is, change your mind and believe again. Because I can promise you this. You're not going to find life in anywhere but Jesus. Hey, you, can, you can look in a lot of other places, and you can try to find life and joy in other circumstances and other relationships, but Jesus, who rose from the dead, and the evidence is overwhelming, that Jesus said, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's no life apart from Jesus. And there are people all over this congregation who could give testimony. I tried it, and I found there is no life apart from Jesus. Would you come back? That's what Peter did. That's what John did. It's what his brother James did. It's what Mark did. It's what Philip did. It's what Thomas did. I was an idiot. And I stopped and I shouldn't have. I'll start again. It's the invitation. It's the power of the impact of the resurrection. But don't miss this. All who believed were radically changed. Everyone who believed in the death, burial, and resurrection, all who believed of that which the scripture says is of first importance, all who believed were radically changed. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon the followers of Christ at Pentecost, the 120 gathered in the upper room, and then Peter stands up and makes bold proclamation of the gospel in Jerusalem. Thousands hear the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and they hear it and what? Believe. They change their mind about Jesus, and they believe in him and are baptized as a reflection of their belief in him, and their lives are radically changed. In fact, here's what Acts describes about these thousands of people who have now believed. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed, were together, and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Don't miss this. There is a radical transformation that is happening day by day, house to house house, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a radically changed community of people who said, I believe Jesus died for my sins, was buried, and rose on the third day, and that belief changed me 
changed what I do with my life. It changed my relationships. It changed how I handle my money. It changed everything about me. If you were to sum it up, that radical change was demonstrated in bold proclamation, in fervent prayer, in profound generosity, in contagious community. It, it was a community that was growing day by day. House by, it was like a bad cough that keeps spreading. You know what, how that happens? Uh, one of our guys in our band this morning showed up and he got about halfway through rehearsal and then he was out and he's home now. And they said it went through his entire house. And we're like, ugh. Because <laughs> you know what it likes. It's, it's contagious. That's what's happening here. But not in sickness, but in salvation. People are hearing and believing. Here's the kicker. Of those thousands, none of them had actually seen the risen Jesus. Oh, the apostles had, the ones who were proclaiming, they had seen, but those thousands who had believed, believed without seeing and were radically changed. And so I recognize I am inviting every single one of you this morning to believe without seeing. But believe based upon the overwhelming testimony of the physical evidence and the eyewitnesses that Jesus rose from the dead. And the resurrection radically changes those who believe. You see, as we look at of first importance, I want us to make sure we have clarity on the gospel of believing in Jesus. See, it is not true to think, I gotta change my behavior in order to be saved. This is the most common thought I run into all across Jacksonville. Uh, I gotta stop cussing. I gotta stop doing the things I'm doing. You, you, you don't wanna know the stuff I'm doing. I, I know, I'm, I'm a pretty bad person. I'm nice, but I'm... I do a lot of bad things, and I know I need, to, I need to get my life cleaned up a little bit for God. I should start going to church. I, I know, I should read my Bible. I know, I, I try and pray. I don't always pray as much as I. It's all about, I need to change my behavior to be restored to relationship with God. Folks, that is not true. The New Testament could not be more clear that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's the gift, not as a result of works. Not as a result of works. Not as a result of works. Because if it was a result of works, you could boast. I cleaned myself up. I've made myself better. I've made myself acceptable to God. You can't. You'll never be good enough. See, the issue isn't how bad you... How bad have you been? What have you done that is shameful? That's not the issue. Because all of us have done things that are shameful. Hey, no doubt, some have done more shameful things than others. Yes? Yes. But none of us are righteous. All of us need a Savior. And none of us can be good enough. We can only receive a gift of God's grace called Jesus died for your sins, was buried, 
and rose on the third day. You believe that and you are radically changed. You are. You don't radically change yourself. You are radically changed. Watch what this passage, we often know eight and nine, but do you know what the next verse says? For we are his workmanship created where? In Christ Jesus for good works. We're so prone to get it backwards. We go, oh, we need to clean our lives up to get to God. No, we could never clean our lives up. Only Jesus can restore us back to relationship with God. But having been restored back to relationship with God, now we are new people to live new lives. So it is not true that you need to change your behavior in order to be saved. But watch, nor is it true to think I'm saved but I never change. That's not true. Because those who are saved are, they're changed. They're made new people in Christ. Now, not perfectly, not immediately, but the New Testament, don't miss this, The New Testament doesn't know anything about someone who says, oh yeah, I trust in Jesus, but I live my life the way I always lived it, doing the things I always want to do. It doesn't. Oh, so I need to become a better person. No, 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 no. When you believe in Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, you're a new person in Christ. And as a new person, you begin to Love new things, pursue new things, hate old things. Not immediately, not perfectly, but you're new. I'm not saying that's a requirement for salvation. I'm saying that is a result of salvation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So let me ask you, very personally right now, could you look up here, please? Who are you in relation to the resurrection? There were, follow me, there are three reactions. (laughs) Those who didn't believe, believed. Those who had believed and abandoned started following again. And there were those who didn't believe. Not because it wasn't true. Not because there wasn't overwhelming evidence. They didn't believe. Who are you? I want to invite you. If you have not believed to this point, not, not that you've never heard it before. You've heard it, but you've never embraced Jesus and his death for your forgiveness to make you a new person in Christ, to put his spirit into you. If you have never believed him, I invite you right now, this morning. There's no magic words. You don't have to say this in an exact way. You simply declare, God, 
I didn't believe. But I now believe that you have paid my penalty through Jesus. Make me a new person. And if you stopped kind of going through emotions, I invite you, start again. I think the Lord had you here very specifically this morning to remind you there's an invitation to start following Jesus again. Some of you are going, I have believed and I've been changed. Don't stop. Because being changed is something that God does in us. And it works its way out. Because we're new people with Christ in us. It begins to work its way out in our language, in our thoughts, in our relationships, in our actions. And it's not done until we are like Jesus. So you got some room to grow? (laughs) I do. So don't stop. The resurrection demands a response. If you're going, I still don't believe, that's a response. I'd ask you to change your mind. But that's a response. I still don't believe. I invite you to believe. Or to start walking again. Or to say, when it comes to bold proclamation and radical generosity and contagious community and fervent prayer, I've got room to grow. Keep growing me. But don't be silent before a risen Savior. You with me this morning? There's a response that I'm inviting every single person here to say to God right now. Either I don't believe, I do believe. (laughs) I'm back. Keep growing me. Why don't you bow before the Lord? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. But if you have never believed, and you would change your mind this morning, just there in the quietness of your seat, I invite you to say, God, I admit I've tried to find life apart from you, and I've been a fool, and I believe in your son to pay the penalty for my sin. Would you pour your spirit into my heart I'd be born again and maybe there in the quietness of your seat you'd say God I remember believing and following you and I got mad at you or shook my fist at you angry with you got distracted by other stuff and lured in by other things trying to find life and God I've been a fool and I'm back I want to follow you again 
Or maybe there in the quietness of your seat, you'd say, God, thank you for, for saving me and, and changing me. Keep doing it, Lord. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more bold. I want to be more generous. I want to be more contagious. I want to be more fervent in prayer. Grow me to be just like you. Thank you, God, that you hear every prayer. That you meet each individual as they cry out to you this morning, whatever capacity. Thank you that our faith is on the firm foundation of the resurrection of our Savior. And I pray that as we go through these Christmas holidays, that we would do so as ones radically changed by you, Lord Jesus, to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can pray with you in, in any way, over in south, right out there, if you're over in, here in north, come straight out the back door. We'd love to, to pray with you if you have questions. If you're a guest this morning, we'd love to greet you across the driveway over at the table and invite you to come back again Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve Eve. Jesus is the most important person in my life. But he hasn't always been because we're all on a journey. I want to invite you to join us in that journey of relationship with Jesus. Thanks for being here. God bless.